0: Chapters twenty-one and twenty-two of Love's bitterest Cup by E. D. E. And Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter twenty-one. Preparing to leave. Mister Force went at once to his writing desk to write letters: one to the New York agent of the Cunard Line of ocean steamers, another to his overseer at Mondreer, and a third to Miss Grandier. When all these were dispatched, he joined his family circle in the parlor. The talk ran on events of the day. "'The proceedings were much less formal than I had supposed they would be,' Mrs. Force remarked. Mr. Force laughed and said, "'This reminds me of the first habeas corpus I ever witnessed. In my youth I was traveling in the far west, and stopped to get over an attack of chills at the first house that would take me in. It was a better sort of log cabin.' on the farm of Judge Starr, one of the judges of the Supreme Court of the State, and it was occupied by the judge, his wife, and a hired boy. I had to sleep in the loft with the hired boy. The judge and his wife occupied the room below as parlor, bedroom, dining-room, and kitchen. "'Oh, what living for civilized and enlightened human beings!' exclaimed Mrs. Force. "'He lives in a five-hundred-thousand-dollar house now, my dear, and if it were not irreverent to say so, I might almost add that his cattle are upon a thousand hills. But that is not the point now. On the morning after my arrival, I heard the judge say to his wife, for you could hear through the gaping planks of the loft floor every word that was spoken in the room below. I heard him say, "'That case of Little Valley Henley will come up to-day.' "'Will it?' she replied. "'Well, I'll tell you what to do, Nick. You leave it to the child herself.' "'I will,' said the judge.' "'And yet they say women have no power. "'And here was the wife of one of the judges "'of the Supreme Court of the State "'ordering him what to do,' exclaimed Wynnette. "'Well,' continued Mr. Force, "'about ten o'clock, "'having taken a warm cup of coffee "'brought up to me by Mrs. Judge, "'and having got over the fever that followed the chill, "'I arose and dressed and went downstairs. "'But Mrs. Judge was in the suds, "'and the room was full of hot steam. "'So I walked out into the back yard.' where I found the judge in his red shirt-sleeves sawing wood. Almost before I could say good-morning, came the hired boy, and proclaimed, There come. Bring them right in here, said the judge. And he threw down his saw, and seated himself astraddle the log on the wood horse. And then came half a dozen or more of men, with a pale, scared little girl among them. An orphan child she was, with plenty of money, and she was claimed by two uncles, one of whom had taken out a writ of habeas corpus, to compel the other to bring her before the judge, to decide who should have her. Well, there was a lawyer on each side, and witnesses on each side, and plenty of hard swearing and bold lying on both sides, and the judge sat in his red flannel shirt-sleeves astride the log on the wood horse, and stroked his stubble beard of a week's growth, and listened patiently. The poor little object of dispute stood and trembled until the judge noticed her, and lifted her upon his knees put his arm around her waist and held her there, saying, Don't be afraid, little woman. No one shall hurt you in any way. And the child plucked up her little spirits, and the judge listened first to one lawyer and then to the other, while they each exhausted all their law on the case, without affecting the issue in the least degree, for the result lay in the will of that helpless orphan child, whose little head lay against the judge's red shirt. While they all talked themselves hoarse, the judge listened gravely, "'but never spoke a word. "'And Mrs. Judge came in and out of the yard, "'hanging her clothes on the line. "'When they could talk no longer, "'they were obliged to be silent. "'And then the Judge lifted the child's head "'from his bosom, set her up straight, "'and asked her, "'Now, my little woman, "'let us hear what you have got to say, "'as you are the most interested party. "'Which uncle had you rather go and live with?' "'It was some time before the frightened child "'found courage to open her lips.' But when reassured by the manner of the judge, she did speak, it was to the purpose. Oh, sir, please, I want to go back to dear uncle Ben. Mamma did leave me to uncle Ben. Indeed, indeed, the Lord knows that she did. And I don't know Mr. Holloway, and no more did she. I never saw Mr. Holloway till he came here after me to take me away off to Portland. Very well, you shall go back to uncle Ben, said the judge, and raising his voice, he continued. Mr. Benjamin Truman, here is your niece and ward. Take her, and take care of her. A rough backwoodsman came forward, and took the little maiden in his arms and kissed her, and then touched his hat to the judge on the wood horse, and led the happy child away. And then a polished gentleman threw himself into a passion, and used objectionable language, that might have suggested him to fine and imprisonment, had the law been administered to him in its severity. But the good judge only said, If you are not satisfied, there's the orphan's court, though I have no doubt that also would leave the child in the custody of her present guardian. And with this, the judge got off his bench, took up his saw, and resumed his work. And half the crowd went off swearing and threatening, and the other half laughing and cheering. That was my first experience in habeas corpus. Judge Starr has risen to wealth, power, and positions since then. Children came to him, among other good gifts. "'and his eldest daughter has lately married an English nobleman, "'who is quite as noble in nature as in rank. "'Oh, I like that judge. "'I am glad he rose in the world,' exclaimed little Elva. "'I would like to see him,' murmured poor Odalite, "'one for the moment from the contemplation of her own woes. "'My love, for the last three years you have met him many, many times,' "'said her father. "'Met him here in Washington, but I don't remember any Judge Starr.' That was a fictitious name. I could not use his real name in telling such a story, though I don't know why either. But my dear, he is now one of the judges of the Supreme Court of the United States. You cannot fail to identify him. Oh, I know, I know exclaimed odalite with a bright smile. Who was it? Which was it? What was his name? came in a dozen tones from the young people present. No, since papa has not named him, I must not, said odalite and then the sound of the supper-bell summoned them to the table. Two days after that, Mr. Force received a letter from the New York agent of the canard line of steamers, telling him that the first steamer on which they could accommodate so large a party as the Force's, would be the Persia, which would sail on the twenty-eighth of May. There were not so many ocean steamers then as now, and people had to secure their passages a long way beforehand. The twenty-eighth of May, nearly two months, what a nuisance!— "'But it is because there are so many of us, seven cabin passengers for the first, and two for the second cabin. "'However, wife, I will tell you what we will do. "'We will go down to Mondreer to spend the intervening time, and we will give up this house at once. "'You know our lease expired on the first of April, two days ago, "'and we are only staying here a few days on sufferance, because the house is not wanted at the season. "'Yes, we will go down to Mondreer. What do you say?' "'inquired Abel Force of his wife, "'to whom he had just read the agent's letter. "'We will go down to Mondreer "'as soon as the Grandiers have finished their visit. "'We invited them for a week, you know, "'and they have been here but three days, "'and have seen but little of the city. "'And as to the house, "'I suppose we will pay at the same rate "'at which we leased it so long as we shall stay,' "'replied Mrs. Force. "'The evening mail brought a letter from Beaver, "'the overseer at Mondreer, "'giving good accounts of the estate,' and also a letter from Miss Grandiere, acquiescing in Mr. Force's plans, and begging, on the part of her sister, Mrs. Hedge, as well as on her own, that Mr. and Mrs. Force would use their own judgment in all matters connected with Rosemary and the voyage, only stipulating that the child should be sent home to visit her friends, before going abroad. Mr. Force wrote and mailed three letters that afternoon, one to the New York agent of the Kennard Steamships engaging accommodations for his whole party for the Persia on the 28th of May, another to Beaver, expressing satisfaction at the report of affairs at Mondreer, and announcing his speedy return with his family to their country home, and a third to Miss Grandiere telling her that Rosemary would be with her in a few days. Then Mr. Force turned his attention to the young guests of the family, and put himself out a little to show them around Washington City and its suburbs. Mrs. Force, meanwhile, at the head of her household, was busy with her packing and other preparations for the removal to Mondreer, and their after-voyage to Europe. Every day she sent off boxes by express to Mondreer, and so the week passed. Nothing, meantime, had been heard of Colonel Anglesea, until Mr. Force put a private detective upon his track, who reported at the end of the week that the colonel had left Washington for Quebec. That was a relief, at least." It was the 10th of April before the Grandiers finally concluded to return home, and then Mrs. Force, supported by her own girls, begged that they would remain until the whole family were ready to go to Mondrier, that all might travel together, for the lady did not wish that the news of Odalite's second interrupted wedding should reach the neighborhood and get distorted by gossip before their own return to their country home. It was, therefore, on a fine day, the 12th of April— THAT THE LARGE PARTY OF FAMILY AND GUESTS LEFT THE CITY HOME IN THE CARE OF THE JANITOR SENT BY THE LANDLORD, AND TOOK THE TRAIN AND ROUTE FOR Mondreer. CHAPTER Twenty Two, FAREWELL VISIT TO Mondreer. IT WAS A LONG DAY'S RIDE, AND IT WAS DARK WHEN THEIR TRAIN RAN INTO THE LITTLE STATION WHERE IT STOPPED FOR HALF A MINUTE. THE LARGE PARTY GOT OUT, AND THEY FOUND A MUCH LARGER PARTY COLLECTED TO MEET THEM. There was old Tom Grandier, as the master of Oldfield was beginning to be called, with an ox-cart to carry his tribe of sons and daughters home. There was William Elk, with an old Baroque which he had brought to meet his niece. There was Miss Sibby Bayard in her mule-cart, come to fetch Roland. Lastly, there was Mrs. Anglesea in the capacious brake, driven by Jacob, come to fetch the whole Force family home from the station to Mondreer. And there were such hearty, cordial greetings as are seldom heard in this world. Welcome home, neighbors. We have missed you. Thank heaven you have come back. And so on and so on, all speaking at once, so that it was difficult to tell who said what, or to reply distinctly to anything. Yet the forces all responded in the most cordial manner to these effusive greetings, in which Mrs. Force and Odalite detected an undertone of sadness and sympathy, which both mother and daughter understood too well. "'They have heard of our new humiliation, although we have never written of it. Yes, they have all heard of it, though no one alludes to it,' was the unuttered thought of the mother and daughter. "'Lord's sake, old man, hoist them children up here and get in. Don't stand palavering with them people all night. I'm going to drive you all home myself. I only brought him for show.' "'I wouldn't trust him to take us home safe over bad roads in the dark,' said Mrs. Anglesia, from her seat on the box beside the coachman. "'Well, my girls and boys, have you been so spoiled by your gay city life "'that you will never be content with your dull country home again?' demanded Thomas Grandiere, as he helped his big daughters to tumble up into the ox-cart. "'Oh, Dad, it was perfectly delightful. "'But we are glad to get home and see you for all that,' answered Sophie. "'There's no place like home.' "'sentimentally sighed Peggy. "'And all the other sisters and the brothers "'chimed in with her. "'Washington is well enough, "'but they are all too indifferent about the crops "'ever to amount to much, I think,' "'said Sam Grandiere, "'and his brother Ned seconded the motion. "'And so that party waved a last adieu "'to the forces and drove off. "'Your mother and your aunt "'are both at our house, Rosemary, "'and so I came to fetch you over there,' "'said William Elk, "'as he helped his little mite of a niece "'into the old Baroque.' You don't grow a bit child are you never going to be a woman he further inquired as he settled her into her seat nature puts her finest essences into her tiniest receptacles uncle elk said roland who called everybody else's uncle his own but william elk had driven off without receiving the benefit of the young man's words roland come here and get into this cart afore this here brute goes to sleep and drops off there's a time for all things says i and the time to stand staring after a young gal, says I, isn't nine o'clock at night, when there's an old woman and a wishous mule on a cart waiting for you, and a mighty dark night and a rough road afore you, says I, called Miss Sibby from her seat. All right, auntie, I'm coming. And the young fellow jumped into the cart, took the reins from the old lady, and started the mule at a speed that made the animal cock his ears and meditate rebellion. By this time, Mr. and Mrs. Force, their three daughters, and Leonidas were seated in the brake. Mrs. Anglesia was on the box driving. This she so insisted on doing that there was no preventing her except by enacting a scene. "'Jake's getting old and blind and stupid. I'm not going to trust my precious neck to him, you bet. I have lost a good deal, but I want to keep my head on my shoulders,' she had said, as she took the reins from Jake, who immediately folded his arms, closed his eyes, and resigned himself to sleep.' "'You had better let me drive if you are afraid to trust Jake, Mrs. Anglesea suggested Mr. Force. "'You,' said the lady from Wildcats, in a tone of ineffable contempt. "'Not much. I'd a heap rather trust Jake than you. "'Why, old man, you never were a good whip since I knowed you, "'and you've been out of practice three years. "'Sit still and make yourself comfortable, and I'll land you safe at Mondreer. "'Old Luce will have a comfortable tea there for you, and strawberry shortcake too,' Think of strawberries on the twelfth of april but i raised em under glass and so my beat wasn't dead after all and i in mourning for him ever since the fourteenth of february well my beat beats all i shall never believe him dead until i see him strung up by a hangman and cut up by the doctors of which i live in hopes no you needn't worry jake's fast asleep and he wouldn't hear thunder nor even the dinner horn much less my talk "'How did you hear that Colonel Anglesia had turned up again?' inquired Mr. Force. "'Why, Lord, old man, it's all over the whole country. You couldn't cork up and seal down news like that. It would bust the bottle. I believe someone fetched it down from Washington to the Calvert House. And then it got all over the country. And Lord love you. Jake heard it at the post office and fetched it home to the house. And then, when Beaver got your letter, and not a word was said about the wedding, and Miss Grandiere got too,' one from you and one from rosemary and nothing said neither about no brides nor grooms we felt to see how it was and now there's lynching parties sworn in all over the neighborhood to put an end to that beat if he ever dares to show his face here again oh the whole neighborhood is up in arms i tell you i am very sorry my good neighbor's sympathy demonstrates itself in that way said mr force you can't help it though triumphantly exclaimed the lady from the diggings as she gave the off-horse a sharp cut that started the whole team in a gallop, and jerked all the party out of their seats and into them again. "'As a magistrate, it is my bounden duty to help it,' returned Mr. Force, as soon as he recovered from the jolt. "'Look here, old man, you take a fool's advice and lay low, and say nothing when Lynchlaw is going round seeking whom it may devour. For when it has feasted on one victim, it licks its chops and looks round for another,' and wouldn't mind gobbling up a magistrate or two any more than you would so many oysters. Leastways that is how it was at Wildcats. And I tell you, our boys out there wouldn't have let a beat like him cumber the face of the earth twenty-four hours after his first performance if they could have got hold of him. It's a word and a blow with them, and the blow comes first. Now for goodness' sake, do stop talking, old man. I can't listen to you and drive down this steep hill at the same time without danger of upsetting.' Whoa, Jessie, what are ye about, Jack? Steady, and the lady on the box gave her whole attention to taking her team safely down chincapin hill and across the bridge over chincapin creek. Oh, how glad I am to see the dear old woods and the creek and the bridge once more said little Elva fervently. See why you can't see a mite of it. It is as dark here as the bottom of a shaft at midnight. No moon. "'and what light the stars might give, "'hid by the meeting of the trees overhead. "'See, indeed, there's imagination for you,' "'replied Mrs. Anglesea. "'Well, anyhow, I know we are on the dear old bridge, "'and going over the creek, "'because I can hear the sound of the wheels on the planks, "'and the gurgle of the water running through the rocks and stones,' "'deprecatingly,' replied Elva. "'Why don't you say, ecstatically, "'Hail, blessed scenes of my childhood. "'That's the way to go on if you mean to do it up brown,' "'Chaffed Wynnette. "'Oh, how can you be such a mocker? "'Are you not glad to get home?' "'Pleaded Elva. "'Rather, but I'm not in raptures over it. "'Look here, young guns, stop talking. "'You distract me. "'I can't listen and drive at the same time. "'And if you will keep on jawing, you will get upset. "'These roads are awful bad washed by the spring rains. "'And if we get home safe, it will be all owing to my good driving. "'Only you mustn't distract me by jawing,' said Mrs. Anglesia." and having silenced every tongue but her own, she drove on slowly by the light of the carriage-lanterns, which only shed a little stream directly in front of her, talking all the time about the negligence of the supervisors, and the carelessness of the farmers in suffering the roads to be in such a condition at that time of the year. This could never a been the case if you'd been home, old man. You'd a been after them supervisors with a sharp stick you would. But, Lord, the don't-careishness of the men about here, she concluded, as she drew up at the first broad gate across the road leading into the Mondrier grounds. Her passengers thought, but did not say, that if the lady on the box could not listen and drive at the same time, she certainly could drive and talk pretty continuously at the same time. "'Here, you lazy nigger, Jake! Wake up and jump down and open this here gate!' exclaimed Mrs. Anglesea, giving the old sleeper such a sharp grip and hard shake that he yelled before he woke. "'and said he dreamed a limb of a tree had caught him "'and knocked him out of his seat. "'However, he soon came to a sense of the situation, "'half climbed and half tumbled down to the ground, "'and opened the gate to let the break pass through. "'The house was now in sight "'and lighted up from garret to basement. "'Oh, how pretty!' cried Elva. "'And Wynnette mocked her good-naturedly. "'I told Luce to do it "'and leave all the window shutters open "'so you could see through. "'Lord, tallow candles are cheap enough.' "'especially when you make them yourself. "'And there was an awful lot of beef tallow last killing to render down. "'I couldn't tell you how many candles I run, about five hundred, I reckon. "'Well, here we are at the house, and, "'Oh, Lord, Jake, jump down and hold that dog, "'or he'll break his chain and jump through the carriage windows,' "'cried Mrs. Anglesea as they stopped before the house. "'Indeed, Joshua was making the welkin ring, "'with his joyous barks and his frantic efforts "'to get at the returning friends.' whose presence he had scented. "'Let him loose this instant, Jake! Unchain him, I say!' exclaimed Wynnette, And without waiting for her orders to be obeyed, she sprang from the carriage, fell upon the dog's neck, and covered him with caresses. "'Oh, you dear, good, true, trusty old friend, to know us all again after so many years! To be so glad to see us, and to forgive us at once for going away and leaving you behind! You would never have left us, would you, my dog?' "'Ah, dogs are a great deal more faithful than human beings.' "'Well, Wynnette, with her own hands, unloosed the chain. "'The other members of the family alighted from the break. "'And Joshua, released from restraint, "'dashed into the midst of the group, "'barking in frantic raptures, "'and darting from one to another, "'trying to turn himself into half a dozen dogs "'to worship at once at half a dozen false gods "'in the form of his returning friends. "'They all responded to Joshua's demonstrations "'and then entered the house.' closely followed by the dog, who did not mean to lose sight of them again. In the lighted hall, they found all the family servants gathered to welcome them home. Oh, dear mistis, we'd am all fraught, as you'dum had forsook us forever and ever, amen, said Luce, bursting into tears, as she took and kissed the hand her mistress offered. End of chapter 22